My Action. dad was working in the bird's eye factory in, in Birmingham when it exploded. Really? Yeah. D d was it just from like one of those steamed vegetable pouches? Like, did they have a bunch of them in the microwave? <laughs> Custard powder is very explosive. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen, Ooh. I saw a video of an explosion of like, um, God, what was it? It was just like flour or something recently. Yeah. And it absolutely goes off. Anything that's a powder goes off and they weren't oh, storing right. it correct i imagine that that you open the doors of the warehouse and there's just big piles of custard powder everywhere i don't know why see the bird's eye i'm used to is yeah like the steamed vegetable packet so i figured yeah there's an explosion there someone just put the vent side down in the microwave <laughs> no it's in this country bird's eye synonymous with like custard and like Angel Delight and uh, God, what was that fish stuff they fingers. made? Fish fingers, bird's eyes, fish fingers. Dude. What was the shit that they made that that they like tried to imply was yogurt, but it wasn't? Cottage cheese. Come. <laughs> Both incredible guesses, but fucking no. It was a bird's eye like fake yogurt product that that came in a powder, which you then um, <laughs> yeah, so, rehydrate. So yeah, yeah, yogurt powdered yogurt or yeah, yogurt, yogurt flavored cornstarch. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Oh no, was it bird's eye dream? Or was bird's eye dream Maybe fake you cream? Bird's eye oh, dream fake cream. Yeah, bird's eye dream topping was uh, powdered like fake. It's like the English equivalent of like Miracle Whip, I guess. Oh, okay. That, like, that reminds like, yeah, that reminds me. I'm that. making. I'm definitely making a cream cover band uh, called Bird's Eye Dream because <laughs> it's fake cream. Oh, who's there? Mike's there. Hey, guys. Who else is here? Me, Specs. And me, Shiny Missing No. I'm also here. Willie's here too. We're talking about the Outer Wilds. Everybody get it out your system. I liked it. Where are we going to start? It's a fucking amazing game. Yeah. It's got an amazing soundtrack. It's got amazing exploration. It's just, it, it explains things to you in a way that makes you feel like you're really fucking smart for figuring it out, even though it's got all the information laid out for you. Yeah, I actually had a, like an idea for like sort of a scheme of how to talk about this, which is talk about the planets kind of independently that's what I was thinking, and start yeah. with uh, <laughs> Timber Hearth because that's, that's where you kind of start the game off of. Before that, though, can we just kind of explain what type of game it is because I feel like we miss that a lot. No, because if you if you haven't played Outer Wilds, you absolutely under no circumstances should listen to this. It will, like... Yeah, the fun of the game is exploring it. You don't get any upgrades to help you explore the world. All you get is information. If you get any spoilers for this game, it is ruined for you. If you have any ideas of playing this, then don't listen to us talk about it. If you know you're never going to play it, you can listen to us talk about it, I guess. But it's a good enough game that you should go play it. If you start listening and you're like, oh, maybe I'll give it a try, then... Then stop and don't listen to this podcast while you play the game because uh, you will miss out on the great soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. This game is definitely one that's best played blind. It's weird because it's basically a walking simulator. I'd stick it in the walking simulator genre, to be honest. I'd stick it in the adventure game genre, personally. It is kind of an adventure game as well. Yeah, it's adventure exploration. The way it works, 
works that the puzzles go in a very kind of adventure game structure but a lot more open-ended and they make more sense than adventure game puzzles i would say it's a new genre in that it is an escape room yeah kind of we've already got escape room games but i see what you mean about an escape room it is kind of yeah but in the same way that in gone home you can just walk to the ending in like 20 seconds in this game you can complete the game within what like five minutes probably quickest speed run yeah the process of playing the game teaches you how to speed run it yes yeah what you learn both like diegetically and non-diegetically is how to beat the game in under 20 minutes yeah with that should we start on timber hearth I expected to be hanging out with these characters a lot more like on Timber Hearth than you end up doing. Yeah. You walk around getting introduced to all these people and then uh, zoom off in, I'm off into space. I'm not going to see you all for <laughs> the rest of my playtime. Yeah, you never ever speak to them again. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have, have relayed the experience of, oh, wow, I want to get to know all these people. I'm playing around with this ship and stuff. Okay, went to the observatory. Time to get, get out into space. And they get out into space right when the sun is exploding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like Timber Hearth as a tutorial area because it's not in your face about it. You just walk around and if you talk to the people, they teach you how to play the game, but it doesn't make sense to you yet. You're like, oh great, yeah, now I know how to use this microphone doohickey that lets me locate things. And you have no idea how that's going to help you when you get out into space. You have no context for it, but also if you don't talk to everyone in Timbarf and you wander around the game and you just ignore them like I did, and then you get to a corridor with ghost matter in it, you're like, oh, I can't go there. Yeah, and you don't know what it is and you don't know why. Whereas yeah. there's an NPC on Timber Hearth who's throwing stones at Ghost Matter and is like, hey, this will kill you. Literally explains everything to you. Yeah. I felt like an idiot. And so you should have. There's even a little zero-G cave where you learn to, like, fly and stuff. Yes. You learn to repair your ship, yeah. And that is also one of the first examples of just the incredibly clever architecture of the game. What do you mean? You know why it's there's zero gravity in that cave? It's not because they have some kind of gravity like dampener. You take that elevator down and you are in the exact center of the planet. <laughs> That's very cool. A lot of people wonder like, hey, are they like faking all the uh, caves inside planets? Is the zero G cave, it's literally zero G because it's in the middle of the planet? Yes, yeah, because you're no longer being attracted like the sum of all the mass. Um, now you're there and all the mass is around you. What's cool about this game is you've always got a little um, mini-map that shows the sphere of the planet that you're on, so you can see if you're going north, south, east, west, whatever, so you can kind of orient yourself, which is useful. And it's a mini-map that you don't have to look at constantly, because it doesn't give you, like, enough, like, solid direction, so, like, you're you're actually, like, looking at the world. It's literally just north, south, east, west, rather than being like, this is where landmark is and stuff like that. But also, that's all you really need. Yeah, exactly. So, like, from the very opening of the game, it has this really, really, like, great atmosphere. And I like, you know, kind of, kind of Timber Hearth as this kind of folksy kind of, there's elements of, like, kind of Americana and a little bit of the frontier. Definitely frontier, yeah. There's an observatory, but it's it's just a bunch of, like, hammered wood planks. But yeah, you, you get the instructions like, hey, you need to go get the launch codes. And this is one of the first bits of information that the game saves for you. 
So like you have to do at least this little, you know, kind of run through of Timber Hearth before, you know, you get into the central gameplay loop. And from that point on, yeah, you can you can just fly whenever you want. I wish I could make a fucking tutorial that good that you get the launch codes and then it saves the information. And that's what basically explains to you the entire structure of the game. In the museum, there's some interesting stuff as well. Like it tells you a bit about the universe you're about to go and explore because there's artifacts from one, the ancient civilization that you're going off to learn about, um, who you're given like a translator for. So you can read their writing, which you find on every planet, basically. And then there's also like artifacts from the various planets, like there's skeletons from some of the creatures that live on them. And there's a quantum rock, which if you look at it, it stays where it is. But as soon as you turn your back and look, back at it again it's in a different place which i completely missed in the museum because i only looked at it once and then left the room (laughs) (laughs) cats you might know like if this is simple or not to program but like uh the quantum stuff in the game overall was one of the genuinely surprising things for me of just like how they got that to work so consistently yeah it's very cool it's actually not super hard to like program it so that it like the game engine keeps track of whether it's being drawn or not and if it's not being drawn it can like move it. The thing about the game that is a technical marvel is definitely both the gravity model which is really surprisingly accurate for a video game that doesn't necessarily have to be super realistic. It's got a really detailed gravity model in it and also just, you know, the seamlessness of it all like when you go into space and you know, I mean that's still novel to me. Yeah. Maybe it's not novel to someone who's played a lot of space games. Well, no, like the scale that it's on, especially like the confined scale and doing gravity in that way, because it, it doesn't work in the same way that that real gravity does in that, like the actual force of it actually drops off really fast once you get like a little bit away from uh, from one of the planets. But like it still works really consistently, like you can throw yourself into orbit and it generally like kind of works like you're not being pulled down onto it. Yeah, it's really funny as well. There's a speedrun category that is shipless. So rather than getting your ship and getting the launch codes and going, you just get the jetpack and then you boost yourself with a geezer off the starting planet into space and then you just fly to the planets to do whatever you need to do, which is kind of cool. <clears throat> Still going with the beginning of the game, like um, one of the other kind of very clever things that they start to demonstrate is that a lot of the technology that the Harthians, that's the species you play as, is that they reverse engineered a lot of stuff from the Nomai. So there's a gravity crystal that you see, you know, in the museum and it's kind of cheekily placed so you can just like walk along the wall. But you notice also that there's a gravity crystal on your ship which you use to fly. Mm -hmm. But you've also got to use gas to propel yourself, whereas the ancient civilization, the Nomai, use like quantum and stuff to propel their ships. Yeah, they use little tiny black holes and white holes. Yep. So you get the launch codes, you go back to your ship, and this is not exactly the same as every other run, but this is where like the game really opens up. This is where you fly into the sun. (laughs) Yeah. I think my first run, actually, I flew into the moon that's orbiting your planet because I tried to land on it too fast and just died. (laughs) That was my first experience. But the first time you take off from your home planet, it is really cool because you can just see the whole solar system and it's not big enough that you'd miss anything. You can see pretty much everything. It's really nice. As soon as you take off, you can see at least three other places that you could fly to. I think the developers must have planned the orbits to make everything that you can go to like quite close to you when you blast off from Timberhearth. Yeah, especially if it's your second run and you've just woken up. 
We can talk about the moon, well, the Addle Rock, because that's the uh, first place you go, but... There's not that much about it, is there? There's some about it. Like, it's actually surprising how much little, um, little, like, ways they tie other parts of the game to specific locations, like... Well, you've got your pal there who's whistling. So on each of the planets you go to visit, there is someone from the Outer Worlds Exploration Company, and the way you find out where they are is by pointing a microphone into space, and they each have their own unique instrument whistling or playing the theme song to the game and so you know which planet you're kind of heading towards based on the song that's coming from it which is really cool and if you can line them all up like if the planets align then you can listen to the whole song at once which is neat it's cool and you get cool little tips like hey if you go to the north pole of a planet that's the best place to receive these signals you get like a, a kind of little sort of quest of like, hey, Feldspar went missing. Like, yeah. And like, oh, his his signal is in this weird place on Timber Hearth, but it doesn't make any sense. They basically set it up as like, you think you're just basically going to be looking for him. That's how I kind of read it anyway, because when you talk to everyone, mostly what they're talking about is the fact that Feldspar's gone. So I figured that that was kind of the main thing that we were going to try and do. But then it doesn't necessarily take you that long to actually find him. But there's like bits and pieces of kind of information that he's left where he's been that kind of help lead you to where you are going to eventually find him as well. So Yeah, you're not really given an objective at the start of the game no. and you're just told go explore and I like shiny I thought well we're probably looking for this feldspar guy but as you look for him you find out more about the ancient civilization so on the Atle rock it's funny that shiny said oh there's not much there and Mike said well yeah there is because I thought what is there and I remember there's an astral clock there that points to all of the other planets in the solar system but oh, it's yeah. got an extra like hand on it that's pointing to something that it just can't get a fix on oh yeah completely forgot about I that I forgot about that completely and that's the <laughs> eye of the universe yes. which yeah. which becomes the real like kind of central thing throughout the game also there's a huge fucking crater on there and there's a bunch of chunks of ice and they specifically kind of color this ice and it shows up throughout the solar system that this was ice from the planet that Dark Bramble took over. I'd forgotten about that as well. Oh, I didn't know about that. Because that used to be another planet and then the Dark Bramble seed was there and it basically blew the planet out from inside. So there's, um yeah, there's ice on all the other ones. Is that the ice that's on um, Giant's Deep as well? Because there's the jellyfish in the ice on... Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, there is, yeah. And there's bits of the bramble root on Giant's Deep as well. Mm. I'm an idiot. I didn't put that together. I totally missed this. I was like, duh, where's that ice on Giant's Deep? <laughs> Dark Bramble has ice around it. It's like, oh, all right, easy. Just make some ice. Well, it needs to look specifically like Dark Bramble ice. So when you see it in on a different planet, you'd be like, hey, that's some stuff from Dark Bramble. I can't just make it look like ice because you use the ice looking ice over here. I was going to say we finish talking about Timber Hearth because there are a couple other things. There's the fucking Dark Bramble Seed that's on there that also kind of emphasizes like the sort of Feldspar quest. And like, yeah, you can locate him almost instantly just by shooting your scout into that and then just yeah. following the signal inside of Dark Bramble. But there's also the coolest one. There's this little grove that has these quantum signs on the trees, and it's a quantum poem. What? I didn't know about that. Never found this. I didn't know about this. I'm going to have to look for this. I'm not sure if I remember this. There's a quantum shard in there, and like the trees themselves also are quantum objects, and they move around. And you can talk to Gabbro about this quantum poem that he made that has a total of 24 different ways of reading it. That's cool. I'm going to have to play the game again now. And there's so much you can learn about the game just by 
I like talking about it with people, like stuff that you miss. Yeah, the thing about the seed on Timber Hearth is, I don't think I got this at first, that it was the reason you can hear a signal coming from the seed that's in the north of the planet from Feldspar is because like all of the bits of dark bramble are connected through quantum tunnels, essentially. Mm -hmm. So you've got a little portable kind of scanner thing that you can shoot out and then take pictures with. So if you shoot that into the tunnel, then you can um, find feldspar that way. But I think I found him in a completely different way because I didn't work that out until later. That was like the first thing I did. I did that, but I didn't figure out that that's where he was going to be straight away. But I did put my scout through there. Yeah, you can follow the signal from your scout back to there. Yeah, but the, my first venture into Dark Bramble wasn't a big success. Yeah, Dark Bramble. Love that planet. <laughs> oh, Dark Bramble. <laughs> Hate Dark Bramble. I get this feeling like when I'm walking on Timber Hearth, like early on, and you see that like so little of the planet has like these details on it. Like there's a lot of just kind of flat Timber Hearth. That's, you know, pretty like low poly. It's like, oh, it's like a lot of the game going to be like this. And like, Absolutely no, like not. almost everywhere you go is incredibly detailed, is incredibly intricate. Like you genuinely wonder how they fit all this shit on these tiny ass planets. But also, like, the architecture that, like, the, the Harthians have and the fact that they're basically relearning everything from the ground up because presumably this has happened before, it makes sense that there's not a lot there and that there's not a necessarily a lot aside from Know My Stuff on the other planets as well. So I, I prefer that it's kind of a bit emptier because I feel like it would just feel too over overdeveloped if there was more. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I was just talking about, like, a sense that I had in the early game, like, walking on the surface of Timberheart. But I think that's also good game design because it focuses you to where there are things. Mm -hmm. So if the landscape is too cluttered, it's very difficult to pick out where you should be going. And I noticed this while playing Phoenix Rising recently. I was like, huh, Breath of the Wild made exploration so much easier because the landscape is so sparse. You can be like, oh, that looks interesting over there. Let me go over there. Whereas Phoenix Rising is like, there's stuff everywhere so i don't know where to explore where is likely to have stuff and timber hearth's very much the same there's like two or three locations you can go to and then the rest of it is like i can ignore this because there's clearly nothing here yeah the flatness and and just featurelessness of it is basically the game telling you hey quit fucking around here and go into space yeah and the same could be said of Atle rock there's like two important locations and then it's like all right you're done here go somewhere else there's like Nomai runes on uh, Timber Hearth. Oh yeah, that's right. So that was like a mining site that was uh, essential to the Ash Twin project, which is another like big thing. And like the ore there is like the only thing that would be able to withstand the heat of a supernova. They shut down the mines because they found your ancestors. Like they found a little aquatic species living there and they describe it looking like what your people do now. You evolved from weird fish things. It's really cool. So you've still got like gills and stuff. The Nomai are specifically impressed with your fourth eye and they're like I wonder what that's for <laughs> because the Nomai themselves have three eyes in general I like that they didn't try and make the Nomai too ancient yeah that like oh they're you know their their translations have like a bunch of like things in parentheses because we don't know what it means and they they have this kind of like lofty Latin kind of quality it's like no they they talk like us they they're they flirt they're funny I really really like the way that the Nomai speak I think they're so fun yeah, they're just really funny. Because when you read their language, like, it's not just one person writing. Each Nomai comes and adds their own little bit.
bit to the tree of like their writing. It's like a chat room almost. Exactly. Yeah, it is like a chat room. Yeah. Because even when it's like one conversation, there's sometimes like a little extra conversation that's come off of one part of it, but there's the main kind of path that's gone a different way. Yeah, you get reply threads. Yeah, exactly. I know I am like gonna sound like the stupidest motherfucker, but I could never keep track like who was who in the Nomai. I didn't pay much attention to it. I had a lot of trouble reading those conversations because they're not in like a linear order like you would expect. I agree. I was able to like kind of track like sort of the the replies. I couldn't keep straight in my head like the the specific characters. Like Mike said, I could follow a conversation for one piece of writing, but then if I went to a different planet and read something else, I wouldn't remember, oh, this character is the one who said this on this other planet. So I didn't have a good feel for them by the end of the game. I don't know if Willy and Shiny felt differently. I didn't share this experience with you. I thought it was fine. I remember, like, Coke and Pie, they always stand out because they're the ones that go to the interloper and they, they're always showing up in the Ashtrin product and stuff. Like, mm. they are big shots in the Know My World. And then uh, Solanum. I recognize, obviously, whenever she shows up. Yeah. So how long did it actually take you guys to figure out the sun explodes every 22 minutes? I think it was a while because I kept dying. Same. The first time I died, I actually fell off a cliff in Zimbabwe. <laughs> yep, I did too. And the game actually does kind of a weird thing because you haven't seen the Nomai statue yet. And it just like, you actually die rather than like teleporting yourself into the past. You get a game over. Yeah, you get an actual game over. Yeah, if you haven't synced with the statue, you don't get to come back to life at the start of the download process, as it were. Right after you get the launch codes, this Nomai statue in the museum slash observatory looks at you and just kind of like plays part of your life back and then has downloaded basically like a copy of your consciousness that it will restore whenever you die or every 22 minutes. Well, it does it every 22 minutes because you die then. Because the sun explodes. Eee. Which is really cool because some eerie music kicks in and the first time it happens it's like, huh, I've not heard this music before, this is nice. And then the sun turns blue and you're like, oh. oh. It's when like you just hear the rumbling start and then it goes silent and you're like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. Uh-oh. It's such a great moment. The first time the sun exploded for me, I had fallen through a black hole and ended up in the middle of space away from my ship and I was like, shit. I'm just gonna die out here. Wait, no, the planet is coming towards me where my ship is. If I just boost in that direction hard enough, then I should hit the planet. And I had the trajectory dead on and I was about to get back to the planet when the sun turned blue and I was like, what? <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake, the sun's about to explode. The first time you play the game, if you don't look at it, it'll never explode. That's interesting. The music cues and the sound and everything are like supposed to like prompt you like, go fucking look at the sun, something's gonna happen. And the game doesn't want to like kill you without you seeing what killed you. So if you don't look at the sun, it'll never explode. That's weird. That's really neat. If you don't go and get like the launch codes, there's a way to kind of like sequence break it so the solar system just stays the way it is because like uh, the sun blowing up and a bunch of the triggers for it are associated with you going up there to get like the, the launch codes and getting your consciousness downloaded. I think it's really cool how every time you start the game, you're on like a 22 minute simulation where the planets will all move in the same way and degrade in the same way and stuff. It's just cool that you're watching a recording of the way everything moves and you can just interact with it. And I, I really like that. Yeah, it's a very cool planetarium.
Should we talk about the next planet? Which one are we going to talk about? Yeah, which one do you want to go for? The first one you see when you uh, start every run is Giant Steep. Giant Steep, yeah. Yeah, that's the first one I went to. That's the first one I went to as well because first it. First one I went to. I think it prompts you to go there first because it says like, oh, what's what's the guy's name? Gabro. Gabro's on Giant Steep. We haven't seen him in a while. Go check on him, basically. So that's why I went there. Giant Steep's a good one to start off because it's got one of the quantum temples on it, which you'll probably find fairly quickly. No. Well, I did anyway. Oh, dude, no, it took me a million fucking years. Took me a million years. Maybe that's just me then. The quantum temple was the thing that I found like right at the end, wasn't it? You did, yeah. Giant Steep is a planet that's covered in water and a big storm. And there's a massive tornado in the like North Pole. On the North Pole, yeah. So my first instinct was, well, let's go to the eye of the storm and see what's there. So the first thing I did on that planet was land in the eye of the storm and go to the quantum temple. It teaches you all about quantum, but clearly uh, that was a fluke from me. You got no fear, man. Yeah, that was also a fluke from me. I didn't even think about like being able to enter that tornado like at all. Yeah. I was just like, I guess that's an invisible wall or not invisible. I guess that's a visible wall that I can't pass for whatever reason. Guess I'll explore elsewhere. I actually didn't like this planet very much the first time I got on it just because of, like, the heavy gravity. Yeah. Every other place has lower gravity than Timber Hearth. So, like, you're used to being able to just kind of, like, just jet around really efficiently. And there's, like, cool platforming stuff. But with this, like, it's like you're you're so fucking heavy. But every planet has a different thing on it that makes navigating it somewhat of a challenge. You can't just immediately go to wherever you want. And on that one, it's kind of like working out how to get higher up. Or like going around things like I know for like, I think it was the statue workshop. Like it took me a second and I was just like, oh, I'll just go underwater mm. to get under this. Fuck this platforming shit. It took me a while to figure out that like you had to go underwater to get to the workshop because I know they were all like, oh, it's really dangerous. We shouldn't do it like in the know my kids notes. But I didn't even consider like swimming in the water. When I first got to Giant Steep, I was like, I'll probably just die if I go underwater. So best try and land on a fucking island instead. Yeah, I kept avoiding the water because I thought someone was going to jump out and get me. Like, yeah, same. <laughs> I really, really like um, with the tornadoes when they pass over you and the whole fucking island just gets jetted up into space. It kicks ass. Yeah, you're like, where, where did the gravity go all of a sudden? Oh. But in the Know My Bits, there's the um, there's the, like specific circles on the ground where just before the tornado passes over, they like light up and you can stand inside them and then you're like safely attached to the ground while the island flies into space. Yeah, I thought that was like such Very a cool, cool fucking detail. And like the statue workshop in general is a cool kind of early place to go because you meet Gabro there who also has had his consciousness like downloaded and he's the only other character that knows that you're in a time loop. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just incredibly chill about it. Like Gabro in general, I really like how they characterized him. Just, you know, very lazy. He teaches you how to meditate. <laughs> he's very at peace with all this stuff. Meditation is really useful because it lets you like if you get trapped out in space and you want to reset a loop you can meditate to just like die and come back this is really funny because i uh, giants deep was the first planet that i went to and i thought i'd exhausted all my dialogue options with gabbro and i played through the vast majority of the rest of the game and then right towards the end i was playing it with specs while specs was watching and he was like have you not learned to meditate and i was like what do you mean so i'd just been like fucking waiting out 22 minutes <laughs> You don't need to wait out 22 minutes. All you need to do is fly into the sun. Yeah, fly into the sun or take off your spacesuit. Now, meditating is rubbish. Screw that. I want to kill myself in an interesting way. Thank you very much. 
super fine detail, but um, you get a different, basically, like, voice line depending on how you die. Well, when you wake up. Yeah, if you suffocated when you wake up, like... When you do a big... <gasps> yeah, your character's, like, gasping for air. <gasps> If you just, like, die, like, you smash into something, like, your character's like, oh. But if you meditate, like, it's this deep breathe in and breathe out kind of thing. They didn't need to put that detail in, but it's so nice that it's there. It's just a nice little extra thing that they didn't need to have, but it, it's really cool when you figure out that that's what's happening. The Quantum Temple on Giant's Deep, then, is the thing that sticks with me, because you've got, like, three things you need to know to complete the game, really, and you need to know how quantum works. And so there's this whole, like, tutorial area, and this is more of a proper tutorial, because you can't get out until mm. you complete it, really. And it teaches you that certain objects, you have to be looking at them or they will move. When they move, they might have different properties, so in certain locations, they may do different things, like open a door for you, for instance, which is what happens in the temple. And also you learn that if you've got a picture of an object, it will stay in the same place as it is sort of if you were to look at it. So as long as you're looking at a picture of something, it will stay in the same spot, which is really important for later on, like puzzles in the game. For landing on the quantum planet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've always got a camera on you. Your little probe acts as a camera. Orbiting Giants Deep is this uh, this thing called Orbital Probe Cannon, which uses some kind of time fuckery to fire a probe into space, into a random location in space every 22 minutes to find the eye of the universe. The cannon breaks apart in the process, but then it turns back time? No, the Ash Twin Project turns back uh, time. Like So the, uh, the cannon fires, and when it's located the signal of the eye of the universe, it sends it to the Ash Twin Project, which then, uh, using the force of the exploding sun sends the actual location 22 minutes back in time and sets the loop so that so that they can keep making this mistake but like at the beginning of one of these 22 minute cycles they'll be able to know the exact location and then they can just shut off the sun station so the sun doesn't explode and trigger the loop that's the one <laughs> but the interesting thing is whenever you start the game you are looking up at giants deep and you can see this cannon fire yeah. and it always fires in a different direction mm -hmm. but you can see where the thing goes so at one point on one run i chased the probe that it fired like out of the solar system for about three minutes overtook it by accident missed it completely and then i had to fly all the way back to the solar system i went for a piss and came back and i was still on autopilot flying towards brittle hollow <laughs> cool that you can see it because i probably would have missed it quite easily if they hadn't i was like oh what's that thing that explodes at the start of every run you know i'll go look at that the other thing on Giants Deep is you can get to the center of the planet, although you don't find out about how to until you've been to um, Dark Bramble, right? Dark Bramble and Brittle Hollow, because there's two layers that you have to go through. I will say about the Orbital Probe Cannon, that is where there's this great dialogue between two of these characters, where they're basically talking about like, okay, so um, the... the Cannons might not be able to take it if we use any more force to fire it, right? Right, but I'm sure that the people who have instructed us to do this have accounted for the fact that we will use enough force to break the cannon. <laughs> it's a cool fucking area, too, because it's one of the few spacewalks that you do. It doesn't fuck up and you just, like, fall onto Giant's Deep. Like, you're in, like, kind of this zero gravity exploring uh, this, this space station. Yeah, and I think, do you get the coordinates there? 
No, you get the coordinates inside Giants Deep, but you uh, do right. you do learn that the tracking module, which you get the coordinates from, is in the core of the planet. That's why you go to the core of Giants Deep, yeah. yeah. And it's electrified, the core, so you need to like be inside something rubber, and you find out that you can get inside the jellyfish that sort of float around from below, and they kind of come in and out of the um, of the core, and they also float up and down through it. So you you can sort of sit in inside a jellyfish as it crosses the barrier and then uh, get to the station that's inside the core of the planet. Yeah, but before that, you do need to know about the tornadoes, which they have a model for on uh, Brittle Hollow. Yes. Yep. You can find some bramble, which has got some of Feldspar's like, equipment on it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the jellyfish island is pretty striking. You can see the jellyfish, but you can't get Feldspar's information until you've been through Brittle Hollow because you come out of a place from Brittle Hollow into a part of Giant's Deep that you can't normally access. And then you come out behind the other side of the jellyfish, I think. No, you can get you can get to Feldspar's notes by going through the tunnel. There's ghost matter in there, but you can, oh, was that you can never get past it. My dumbass was only able to find it through Dark Bramble because I didn't know how to yeah. fucking go through ghost matter. Yeah, so you can take pictures of ghost matter and then you can see where it is, but um, you can't see it with the naked eye, which uh, makes it... That's that's another one of the puzzles the game employs. I never found my way around the ghost matter in Giant Steep. I, I really think that I got there via um, Dark Bramble. I do love Feldspar's notes because he's another one of the characters who's he's characterized really well that he just does these insane piloting maneuvers. Yeah, he's the superstar ace pilot space hero type. Yeah, but he didn't even do this one and there's an achievement for it. Apparently you can go fast enough to breach the first layer uh, of the current on Giant's Deep. Oh. How? I guess if you just went outside of the solar system, then boosted as hard as you could back towards it and made sure that you were definitely going to intercept the planet's um, trajectory. Because, like, you can gain infinite speed in this game due to the fact that there's not friction in space. Let's move on. All right. Brittle Hollow? Sure. Riddle Hollow is is definitely one of the most detailed ones. Mm. It's very dense. Scary. Brittle Hollow is not scary. Scared me when I first played. I feel like this is where I died the most. Well, not died, but like basically had to let myself die the most because I kept fucking falling into the black hole. You can blast past and away from the black hole and just fling yourself up. I managed that a couple of times, but mostly I just went to the white hole station. Yeah, it's quite easy to fall into the black hole that's in the centre of this planet, but it's useful to fall in there because that's a way to get to another one of the quantum temples to learn more about quantum. Yeah. But what you need to understand about the concept of this planet is it's actually not a convex planet, it's a concave planet. So you want to be on the inside of the sphere, which is sort of surrounding a black hole because all of the Nomai settlements and uh, and things that are on this planet are on the inside of the planet, just under the crust. And there's lots of like anti-gravity walkways that you can walk along to traverse the planet. And there's sort of grav well things that you can use to jump from place to place. If you get here too late, then the part of the planet that's got the fucking anti-grav walk on has disappeared and you're fucked. Yes. So I didn't realize this because I always ended up getting here halfway through or more through a loop. I didn't realize that this planet was on a timer where there's two factors to it. One, the black hole, and two, there's a moon orbiting it that is constantly spitting magma towards the planet, and that is knocking chunks of the planet off 
into the black hole. So the later you get here, the more of the planet has collapsed and the less platforming space you have available to get to the different settlements that live on it. Yeah. And by the end of the loop, all of the settlements have fallen into the black hole and been teleported to the white hole, which is where the exit point is. But you can go there to find, like there's one specific area that you can only explore in an anti-grav situation. So you need it to have fallen through the black hole to be able to fully explore it. Yeah. I think what I like about this planet and about the Hourglass Twins is like, it's so cool that you can see how the game changes as the simulation goes on. So this planet is just a ticking clock. And because I didn't realize that at first, I was like, why can't I get over there? Clearly, I'm supposed to be able to get over there. But it was just because I was too late in the loop. I think it's so cool that you can solve different puzzles on the planet at different times of the game. Mm -hmm. And you have to wait sometimes for those things to be available. I think that's a really good puzzle solving mechanic. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me until like quite far towards the end of um, my playing this game because I knew that there was this bit that I couldn't get into of the know my kind of um, education center or what have you. It was only until like really towards the end that Specs was like, you know, there's something that you can access if you go through the white hole, like after a lot of it's fallen through. And I was like, what? Yeah. There's a whole new bit that I can learn shit from. The Tower of Quantum Knowledge. Yeah, which was cool. I'm trying to remember what you learn at the Tower of Quantum Knowledge. I think that teaches you about the quantum moon. It teaches you about the quantum temple on the quantum moon and how it always greets visitors at the South Pole, that sort of thing. And that you have to get to like the North Pole. Yes, yeah. Mm, yeah. To get to like the eye of the universe. Brittle Hollow also contains I, what I thought was like a genuinely like kind of touching, kind of sad part of it, which is the uh, the old settlement. It's tough to say whether the game, you know, like it, like wants you to go on this path. But, you know, if you try and go to anywhere on the surface, like you get notes and stuff that are directing you towards like the equator, which starts at the actual crashed escape pod. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're going down through that old settlement. As you read the stuff, though, like some of it is actually pretty harrowing because this was like a, a ramshackle kind of settlement that they built like right when they crashed on the planet, like before they had kind of like rebuilt their civilization. I remember just like one line, like people People are asking, like, is it better to know that the other Nomai are dead or should we just just kind of hold out hope that maybe some of them are still safe somewhere? And, uh, you know, like one person writes like, uh, I don't know how to be myself without them. Yeah, that was the first place that I um, I went to on Brittle Hollow because I basically got there by following the signal scope for the um, like the siren that the, the escape pod made. Yeah, the distress signal. Yeah. yeah, the distress signal. I think there's three or four different escape there's pods three. that are sending off a signal. They're on different planets that you can go to and explore to find out what happened to the Nomai there. Usually the access to where you actually want to be like learning information from is really, really near to the escape pod as well. So Yeah, yeah so it's a good marker. That's good game design as well because it it's like here's a point of interest and it leads to your other points of interest. Mm-hmm. There's also the Dark Hole Forge. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a pain. It's not. Yeah, it is. You can only get to the actual point of it by teleporting from Ash Twin. Yes. Yes, and then if you accidentally jump because you don't realize you're on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, that's you... what I, did. I didn't realize that I was upside down. Yeah, same. So, so I jumped to like get over a rock and I fucking fell I did into that thing. black 
hole. There's a black hole forge here that you learn about sort of from areas you can access in Brittle Hollow, but to get to the actual forge itself, you have to go through a teleport zone on a different planet. And then you find out that the thing you're looking for, which is a warp core, is not even there, I don't think, but it tells you where it is. It tells you that it's actually used to power the Ash Twin project. The Southern Observatory is a really, really cool location when you can finally get to it. Remind me what's in there, because I can't remember. Yeah, what's in there? Yeah, I don't remember. So the Southern Observatory is where they have the, the model of the tornadoes. Oh, yeah! It's another one of those places where you see it on the surface, you go there, and it's like, this door's locked. Like, you gotta, you gotta find some other way to get here. And, you know, kind of using the map and, like, platforming around, when you get there, there's an actual planetarium in there, and you can ask for its, like, location of the eye of the universe, and it gives you this big, sprawling, you know, just... Just gobbledygook. Oh, yeah, it's got all the really cool dioramas in it, doesn't it? Mm. It's got, like, a an actual planetarium where, like, it tracks the locations of the planets. Should we talk about Dark Bramble next? <laughs> I like that planet. I strategically planned my runs to visit Dark Bramble as few times as I possibly could. Right after I went to Giant's Deep, I was like, okay, time to go to the threatening planet. And I loved it. That's the one place I did not explore. I didn't go there unless I knew exactly what I was there to do. <laughs> Anytime I found some new information about Dark Bramble, I went back there. So Dark Bramble is a maze filled with blind anglerfish that will attack you. Huge Huge. They're big fish. enough to eat your entire ship and they'll attack you if you're making too much noise. You learn about the fact that they're blind from some Nomai writing in the Ember Twin in a big cave that's got a dead anglerfish in it. There are dead anglerfish in several locations across the solar system because they live in a kind of inherently quantum planet that has warp zones in it that kind of send the fish out like they'll swim into the wrong portal essentially and just get spat out in the middle of nowhere because the seeds show up in different planets too yeah yeah dark bramble is itself like an organism that is parasite that is growing in terms of the visuals genuinely like this felt like some of the best walking simulator stuff like very few games use fog really well and this is some of the best fog since Silent Hill. Yeah. It's so, so scary. Yeah, there's so much atmosphere and particularly when you first go in there and you get ambushed by an anglerfish, you're just like, oh my God, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm never going back in there again. There's so much atmosphere and there's, and there's no gravity. And the great thing about the fish is, so the fish have lights on their heads, but also the points of light that you're looking for to like warp to the next area in the planet look exactly the same as the anglerfish's light in the fog. <laughs> so you might just be swimming straight into the mouth of a creature. So fucking scary. It is scary. Like the number, there was a couple of times when I was going through there towards the end of the game again when I was playing with Specs, where he was like, I don't think there's any anglerfish in here. You don't have to worry. Only for me to be immediately assaulted and have to try and fucking run screaming into the next node. Ugh. So when you learn that the anglerfish are blind, that makes it even more fucking scary because you're just you're just trying to as gently as possible, like, you know, just barely press on the stick to like get to where you're going and like inevitably, you know, one of those times you accidentally push it a little too hard <laughs> and then it just roars and eats you. And it's always it's a really scary moment when they suddenly wake up. Like it's frightening every time. <laughs> they flip around so fast. Yeah. 
genuinely still scary, even if I, like, know it's coming every time, like, because just the atmosphere is so haunting, like, the, the soundtrack for that planet is, is, is deep, weird ambience. I think it's the fact that you have to go so close to some of them as well. Like, you just have to, like, seek, like sneak through them as quietly as you can, and they're just right yeah. either side of you. Yeah. The red portal. The red portal, oh my god. The red portal, which Wooly gave me the advice, like, just boost as hard as you can into the red portal, then stop touching the controller and you'll be fine. And it looks like you're not going to be fine, but you're fine. Usually you're fine. Yeah, you're fine every time, and still every time is scary as fuck. Yeah, literally almost every time I was like, I'm going to hit them, I'm going to hit them, I'm going to hit them, I'm going to wake up, they're going to fucking kill me. I'm going to hit the antenna. Yeah, and I was like, no, it's fine, I've done this, I know it doesn't hit them, you're fine, just keep going. Fail past them so slow and you can hear them breathe like, yeah. Yeah. fuck, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. <sighs> It's so good. Like, this game brings out every emotion and like fear is is no different like there's that sense of awe when you first take off from a planet there's that sense of discovery as well when you find something new but there's that sense of fear on this planet and it's so good important things here you meet feldspar on a skeleton on a skeleton on a anglerfish skeleton and there's a warp from here to giant's deep near him is that right yes yeah, so that's how i found his information that's how you find out about the jellyfish isn't it yeah and that you can use it as a rubber as a condom yes yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> For my fucking massive penis. There's also one of the um, life pods from the Nomai is here. <gasps> yeah, oh no. Another one of the oh, really no. fucking sad oh, moments in the game. Yeah, so basically you find um, one of the escape pods and inside there's um, some of their Nomai writing that's like, we've tracked down like the signal for our, you know, our ship. We're going to set some lights out and we're going to go and find it. So you leave their escape pod and you follow the lights that they've left out and you reach a dark bramble seed that's just surrounded by corpses. Ugh. It's just so horrible. They can't get through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the Nomai, like, this is where they entered into this solar system, right? Yes, yes. You see this on Brittle Hollow in the same place where you're finding out, like, how, like, desperate, like, their escape was. Because when they came into the planet, like, their ship got eaten basically by dark bramble because they were trying to track a signal and like one of the signals was i believe it was like the quantum moon that they were trying to track yeah and it was when it was outside of dark bramble so when they come into the solar system they just get eaten by dark bramble and they desperately you know have to have to escape so another one of like the the surprisingly like harrowing things for a game that's otherwise you know kind of cute and charming and you know awe-inspiring and you also find the actual ship here. Yes. If you trace the signal through this seed that they couldn't get through, then you can go to the actual sort of ship that they got to this solar system on, the Nomai people, but it's missing a warp core. Or, well, it's got a warp core, but it's broken. So this is the last place you kind of come in the game once you've got the coordinates from uh, Giant's Deep to sort of tell the ship where you need to launch 
launch to and once you've got the warp core which you find on the ash twin project which i guess we'll move on to next well there's yeah there's uh there's a few other things one thing i just remembered about uh dark bramble like it, it's a nice little bit of storytelling but like why the red room is is so full of anglerfish because of the fucking the eggs yeah they're eggs like it's it, they're guarding their eggs the core of the planet is basically anglerfish eggs yeah there's a couple things with feldspar he does say like uh yeah you don't need to tell ground control about me i i, I kind of like it out here i'm chilling just living in a skeleton i know a few people who would live in a skeleton if they had the choice I did want to talk about the ship because it's incredibly detailed. Like not the not the vessel, like your own actual ship. Yeah. Like did anybody like look around inside the ship? Yeah. Because there's a shitload of information. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, but not massively. There's a poster that shows you how to like use the scout, and it demonstrates. It's like it can tell you if so, if like a surface is safe to like stand on and like like if you launch it in places in brittle hollow it'll, it will tell you the surface integrity of it i didn't know that it never really comes up i didn't ever use that but i knew it was a thing well so the other thing about brittle hollow is there's certain parts of it that are set but other parts of it that are randomly falling into the black hole it actually does like a damage calculation for the parts that get hit by the magma from hollow lantern but also on the ship, there is... Did anybody find the eject button? No. 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 If you... While you're piloting, you see that there's like a button mapping thing for free look, right? Yep. Mm. And so what you can do is you can free look down to the right and you see that there is a little eject button and it launches you just completely out of the ship. And if you don't have your suit on, like you just suffocate instantly into space. But one of the things you can do is aim that to shoot through Dark Bramble. That's cool. Another thing on the ship, if you look to the left, it's a little potted set of trees because every ship comes equipped with emergency tree seeds. For oxygen. Yeah, in case you need to make oxygen. And there's a little emergency axe if you need to chop the trees down. I didn't notice the axe. What's really cool about the oxygen system is when you run out of fuel in your jetpack, you can start using oxygen to fly instead. And then fucking die. Well, yeah, but as long as you can get to a tree in time, yeah. you're good, which I really like. I just like how much of a home the spaceship is. Comfy. It's super fucking high poly. It's incredibly detailed. You have the little gravity crystal in there. Little posters. Yeah, the posters that tell you about stuff. Uh, like it tells you like, you know, if you're out of oxygen, step one, find a tree or plant your seeds. Mm. If you take off your seatbelt while you're autopiloting, the acceleration of the ship and deceleration will like knock you around if you jump up out of the like range of the gravity crystal. <laughs> yeah, I've had this happen. Yeah, just tons and tons of fucking cool shit like that. All right, let's talk Red Twin then. So the Ash Twins are cool because they are an hourglass system. Fucking sick. Literally a clock. It shows you how much time you've got left in the game. So one of the planets is covered in sand, the Ash Twin, and the other planet is just a red rock, essentially. But as time goes on, the sand is pulled by gravity from the Ash Twin to the Red Twin, and the rock structure 
structure and all the cave structures on the Red Twin fills with sand. So the later you are into a loop, the less of the planet you can explore because it's filled with sand. But also, some areas are only accessible when there's more sand on the planet because they cover up spikes on the floor and things like that, yeah. which is really neat. It's just such a great concept. Like, Yeah, it's so cool. Visually looks amazing. It's useful because you can, you can look at it and you know how much time is left. Don't like it. Don't like the idea of being crushed to death by sand. Then don't get crushed. I you say that like it's easy. The whole thing just looks like a prog rock album cover. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking sick. This was the first planet I went to because, you know, I see red and it's like, oh, that's Mars. You know, that's the natural, like, tutorial planet that Earth is going to have for space travel. Wow. I like the logic, actually. <laughs> Better bring my potato plants. <laughs> Ma Mars is our tutorial planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so interesting that you think that when literally no one mentioned it, but they were all talking about Giant Steve on fucking in Timbaha. That's so funny. It's the closest one to you. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I that looks significant. Like, let's go to Mars. <laughs> There's a lot to say about the Hourglass Twins. So Red Twin has Chert. He's basically, is he on the South Pole of it? North Pole. He's on the North Pole. He's got his little campfire is setting smoke so you can see him from like fucking miles away. Yeah, that's good. You can see him from Timber Hearth. Yeah. You can... He's on this one like little island that's basically just sticking out of this otherwise dry lake bed. And he actually mentions like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I hardly move from here. Uh, I just shoot my scout into orbit uh, around the planet and you absolutely can do that for this one, just like the poster in your ship says. On Timber Hearth, there is an orbiting probe that you can take pictures with as well. That's how it teaches you to use the probe on Timber Hearth, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember now. But it's not in context, so you forget about it. Yeah. You've internalized the knowledge, but you don't realize that you know it. And that's the one that's like a really old-fashioned slideshow. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, and the guy on the Adel Rock has been spying on people using it. <laughs> Near the this empty lake bed that Chert's near is where you find a quantum rock. And this teaches you something else that's useful about quantum that is obviously the rock can be in different places. So it's got three locations it goes to. And you can tell it's got three locations because you can take a picture of an empty location where it would spawn, go to another place where it would spawn, then turn around repeatedly until it's not in either location. And you can be like, right, so it's got a third location that I don't have access to. And also the scanner will show you that it goes there. So one of the caves is completely devoid of light. So what you do is you stand on top of the rock, turn off all sources of light, and then when you open your eyes again, essentially the uh, you're in a different cave that you've not been in before. I didn't do this. You didn't do this. You worked it out a different way. I was going absolutely insane watching Specs try to figure this out. Like, you are so fucking close. You're so close. <laughs> it's such a like crazy fucking puzzle, but it's also another one where it's like, it's like, Oh yeah, a nomad died doing this. Is that how you're meant to figure out how the, the thing works? Yes, that's how you figure out the moving temple. Oh, I just did it because it was common sense. I think this is a good point to mention. I think this game is best played with a wingman because I had a lot of fun with this game, but I know that if I hadn't had Wooly there giving me occasional prompts, not telling me what to do, but telling me what I already knew so that I could work out the next step on my own, I wouldn't have had as much fun because I would have got frustrated and quit. Oh, yeah. And I did yeah. the same thing with Shiny. 
I don't know if it's necessarily the best thing with a wingman. It depends on how you play the game. Like I would have been perfectly happy to keep playing that game without, but we had I had to finish it for this. So it was still helpful to have specs there, but I think yeah. I still would have continued playing it and eventually figured things out on my own. Yeah. It just would have taken a few more months. I found this game confusing and overwhelming. I looked at a guide like 10 plus times while playing this. I'm not ashamed to admit that either. It's pretty hard. Yeah, this is a hard game to figure out. Finding out how to get into the Ash Twin project. I, I figured out like every fucking thing else. I had the coordinates for the eye of the universe. Like I knew where the vessel was. I was like, what what am I what else is there to fucking do? The issue with this game is that there's so many threads to keep in your head that although you've already got all the information you need, you might not remember it for what you need to do. And the ship keeps a log of everything you know to give you prompts of places to go, but it's still a little too cryptic. So just having Wooly there to like kind of prompt me and be like, well, you know that quantum works in such a way that like if you aren't looking at something, then, you know, it's not necessarily there and that helped me to figure out oh if the room is dark then I can't see the rock and if I'm standing close enough to the rock it'll take me with it so that's how I worked out this puzzle and I did the same thing with shiny when she was in the tower and later on you need to close the door and turn off all the lights in a tower to make it warp so I kind of prompted her to figure it out you didn't prompt me with that one specifically the turning off the lights thing I just kind of figured out because it's like oh if I'm not looking if I can't see then that's how it works so it's annoying because like when you go back and play through it you see that there are all these like things that hint at stuff there's a thing in the high energy lab that tells you it's like well obviously if you stand on the ash twin teleporter of ash twin like it's going to teleport you to the core of the planet that's where we put the teleport like you know exit on mm. when you're in the moment like it's so hard to think of that stuff i like the ship log thing where it says there's more here yes to try and encourage you to to go back to those places and that you can track those on your map. That specifically is why I think you don't, if you're someone who doesn't necessarily get frustrated by it taking a long time, I think like if you want to explore it on your own, that's why I think I probably would have been fine eventually because it tells you there's still more that you can find out here. So you can just zone in on that and just explore it and explore it and explore it until you figure it out. Yeah, and it gives you cliff notes of the shit that you learn and like explains it in like pretty explicit terms. So it's like, I shot my probe through the seed in Dark Bramble and I can see a massive know my ship. This is not a game where you can take a break and come back though. Like, <laughs> yeah, you have to have all this shit in your head. <laughs> if you've taken even like four or five days off and come back, like you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to keep playing. <laughs> Catsman, you, you, you quit, didn't you? Uh, I ran out of time. Uh, I was going to pick it up before I went to go stay with my parents. And uh, then I went to go stay with them and I can't run it on this computer because it's incredibly demanding. I'll probably come back to it. I mean, I've gotten most of the stuff that's in this discussion, but like, I'm going to need a guide for some of the last bits of this game. We can wingman you for it if you want. Yeah, wingman me for it. I wish so much that I could play this again for the first time, honestly. It is one of those games, yeah. I, I wish I could fucking memory wipe myself. Like, <laughs> playing through this just like again to try and like find like extra like details for this, it was still like rewarding, but there is still that kind of like sort of kind of sadness uh, that like, oh man, I remember seeing all this stuff for the first time. I think just getting back to Ember Twin, I 
love the progression that you go from that if you start at the escape pod. Yes. Because it's this elaborate, like, move through these tunnels. You get this elaborate set of, like, instructions. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you have to go here, then you have to go left, then you have to jet up. Then You, you get the instructions right at the start, and you just have to remember how, the, how you're meant to get through as well. And then those take you to, like, I would say this is, like, the second most detailed planet mm. after Riddle Hollow. You get to the Sunless City, which is another, like, really, like, grand architecture piece because it, it's like Cappadocia, you know, these, like, underground kind of temples. In the high energy lab is where you find out about how black holes work, right? Yes, it is. And you can throw your probe in and all that shit. This is where you can get also one of the game's other endings. Yes. So there's a black hole and a white hole set up and you can shoot your probe into the black hole and watch it come out of the white hole. But it comes out of the white hole and also exits the white hole before it enters the black hole. And because of this, what you can do is fire your probe and then retrieve it before it goes through the black hole, but it's already exited the white hole, so now there's two probes. And then the universe just goes, nah, you're not allowed to do that. And the entire, like, fabric of reality just splits. <laughs> really? It's a really awesome fucking visual, too, because there's these black cracks across the screen and this, like, threatening, like, kind of thing, like, because you just shattered the universe. Is this one of the endings where, because I've, um, I've got the, I, I bought the um, soundtrack after I played this game because I thought it was fucking amazing. And there's one song on it, which is the, the main song, but played on kazoos. Is that what plays when you get this kind of game over. Yeah, the credits play because you broke the fucking universe. <laughs> and, and, then it's, and then it says, reload a save. I was really like, where are they playing this in this game? There's all this know my writing about that. I didn't realize you could actually do it. Yeah, I think Wooly told me to do it. Um, and it was cool, yeah. They mention it also if you come back from the White Hole Station. And I've seen so many people fuck up, like realizing, oh shit, I just have to wait. As opposed to there's like a little switch you can align the White Hole Station to send you back to Brittle hollow but yeah it, when you when you get back there like people note it's like huh there's like this tiny discrepancy between this you know like us entering and leaving like is that just like an error or whatever isn't that like key to the whole like time loop thing because they managed to make it powerful enough to give that like time differential 22 minutes exactly yeah yeah exactly in order to send the coordinates 22 minutes into the past and like restart the loop and that's the whole point of the high energy lab is that was what they were experimenting on there was whether they could make this time loop mm. kind of thing happen if they could make the time loop thing happen, then they would have an infinite amount of time to find the eye of the universe and then can just turn it off once they found it to keep the sun from exploding. I really like the way they've introduced that actually in the game. Um, that there's sometimes when you go through these portals and it will give you like the time entered and timed exit, you can actually see that information and see the kind of the fact that you came out before you went in before anyone actually comments on it. So you can be like, huh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. And like start sowing the seeds of like figuring it out yourself it's very very cool oh yeah because all of the warp points have a little readout on them don't they that tell you yeah they do getting back to ember twin i really like the sunless city in terms of like its atmosphere i love the soundtrack for both like that and uh brittle hollow have this like kind of somber piano mm. to it you know it, it feels very kind of sad archaeology there's a there's a shrine to uh the eye of the universe and kind of shows this sort of progression that the nomai went through you know there are these this this, like super inquisitive species like they're they're explorers and, and nomads 
and they come to like start to religiously revere the eye because it's this incredible thing that's older than the universe by all their measurements and it takes on this sort of religious significance for them because it becomes their driving purpose. You actually find a church in Brittle Hollow to the eye of the universe as well because they yeah. worship it. Even these god tier scientists can't figure out exactly what it is so it has to be god. Yeah. Not even necessarily like god but like as a kind of north star for them. Like it's it's you know this is whether you want to say it spiritually or like in terms of science, in terms yeah. of that, like it's why they're here. It's like the pinnacle of what the Nomai can achieve. So it's like their, their end goal almost. It's one of the times in a game where like uh, they've tried to do like science as a religion that actually did have like a, a really interesting kind of cohesion to it as opposed to what like the the outer worlds where it's like, yes, I, I worship science. <laughs> my My God is logic. Thanks, Reddit. Tips, Fedora. There's also the anglerfish cave. This is a cool ass puzzle. Like the kids say, if you give the anglerfish a light, you can see how to get to it. And you you go through these caves to find out how to get there. And that's where you learn that anglerfish are blind. Yeah. Yeah, because the kids play, they play like an equivalent of grandma's footsteps, but with anglerfish, don't they? Or is it like Marco yeah. Polo? It's like Marco Polo, but with anglerfish. Yeah. The kids writing, explaining the rules, it specifically says that they updated the rules to account for the fact that the anglerfish are blind, yeah. which they just learned. And there's a there's an adult writing in the same room like, I'm very glad that kids are keeping this game scientifically accurate. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Just super fine detail, like you see that the kids writing is different from the other Nomai. If you look close, they're like kind of like squiggles that go out in this spiral, but like the kids are just like really big kind of like squiggles that, that go in a spiral. Ash Twin, then, is the other half of this coin. Ash Twin is basically just teleporter planet. It is, but you could only access the teleporters as the sand drains from the planet. Mm. So you get access to more of the teleporters as more of the ash goes away. Yes. And it's it's cool because, like, by the time so much of it is stripped away, like, it's like, wow, I can teleport to any planet in the solar system. But you have, like, three minutes left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you just have to stand on these pads, and when the planets align, it will walk you to the planet that's important to it yeah but uh the only ones i can think of that are really important is there's one that warps you to the sun station that orbits the sun fucking bonkers. so that's really important and then there's one that teleports you to the black hole forge on brittle hollow that we already talked about and there's the one that teleports you inside the ash twin project the sun station is there anything useful there i can't remember it's just lore right well it's a crucial kind of like a uh, part of the puzzle what i liked about the ash twin teleport Porters is when you finally figure out what those fucking big like symbols on the planet are. Yeah. Because there's one on Timberhearth too. Like when you fly away, there's like this glowing rune on there. Yeah, it's and like, you're like, what the fuck, fuck is that? Yeah. And then you go there and you get to figure it out. Yeah. And the reason that they have one on fucking Timberhearth is because that's where the ore that they were mining for the Ash Twin project to make it able to withstand the supernova long enough to send the signal back. Like it's like, oh yeah, so they would need to teleport stuff from there. And they'd need to teleport like the, the cores from you know, Brittle Hollow. And like there was some other construction element that, that was also coming from Giant's Deep. Yeah, Giant's Deep had, um, it's like a workshop that it's got on it, which is literally for like building, building the mechanism. Well, also the statues though, because there's a bunch of statues inside there too. Oh yeah, they build the statues there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see like the other like thing that your statue is paired to. And then one of the statues is paired to the probe. 
so that it can it can remember it and send it back in time. Yes. And one of the statues is paired to uh, what's his name? Gabo. Gabro. Gabro. Yeah, Gabro. Yeah. Because he found one of them in the statue workshop. True. So this is like this is the server room for the statues essentially. So the sun station tells you about the loop. When I found out I could go to the fucking sun, I shat myself. That's so sick. Teleport to the sun. Can fucking teleport to the sun. Yeah, if you land on there, you learn the other crucial part of the Ash Twin project, which is that in order to create this differential in time, you would need like this huge amount of energy, and the only way to do it would be to blow up the sun. But then you, you find out there that the sun station failed. Like, they weren't able to induce the supernova, and that's what actually led them to stop pursuing the Ash Twin project. But basically, because it's left on, when the sun eventually does go supernova at the end of its life cycle, then it will just instantly activate the project. So, the reason you're caught in this 22-minute loop is because you are at the end of the life cycle of the sun, which has powered the entire project and you've just happened to get caught up in it. It's a cool detail, and it's another thing they actually bring up. If you talk to Chert, he says like, yeah, I saw a supernova today. Like, I saw like two or three of them. It's rare, it's super rare that you even get to see one. And if you look out over the course of the 20 minutes, you see that there are less and less stars. Yeah. Which is, yeah, another, another kind of like sort of sad thing. Because the entire universe is just dying uh, at yeah. this point in the game. Church is unique among NPCs is that he has progressively new things to say as the supernova gets closer. Really? He gets really anxious, doesn't he? Yeah, he gets like, he has a meltdown basically when the sun is about to explode. Oh shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. He gets more and more existential dread. You also get to warp inside of the Ash Twin project, which is where you find the warp core to get the ship powered up. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting ending here you can get as well. Yes, there is. This is so fucking weird. If you remove the warp core, it's actually, no, if you don't remove it, because the Ash Twin project still needs to fire. So if you don't remove it and you're in the Ash Twin project inside there, when it goes off, it creates a black hole in the middle of it so that it can send it out so it can send the information out through a, a white hole 22 minutes in the past and if you go through there you wake up 22 minutes in the past but there's also a copy of you still in the ash twin project and you can go there and talk to yourself and you're very confused like the version of you that you're talking to is very confused and is just like yeah i don't really know what's going on here but uh, it's it's probably an anomaly. And then if you take the warp core on the current loop that you're on, then it breaks the fabric of the universe because you didn't take it last time. So there shouldn't possibly be two versions of you. Yeah. And your your other version of you like warns you not to take it, I think, and is like, I don't know what'll happen. Yeah, it's kind of just it's kind of just your choice. Like I wonder what you will do, but like if you choose differently, then I can't be here and causality is broken. So, yeah, uh, it's really kind of a cool, cheeky ending. They actually added it in a patch. You get another one of those cracked windshield kind of moments and the kazoo plays in the credits. So that's neat. Before we talk about the end of the game, we should talk about the other couple of celestial bodies. So there's the quantum moon and there's the interloper as well. The interloper is a cool one. There's really only two things on there. There's like the Nomai shuttle that like if you've been looking at the gravity cannons, like you can recall a Nomai shuttle from the interloper and one from the quantum moon. 
this is like a cool planet. I love the the fact that like as it gets closer to the sun, the ice breaks and you can you can get inside. This is the origin of ghost matter, isn't it? Yeah, and what wiped out the Nomai. Like they tried to they said like oh shit we need to get out the comet in time but like yeah there's this orb at the center of the interloper that's radiating all this like this brutal amount of energy they're like okay this thing's going to explode we need to do something one of them stays behind to monitor it until he dies the other tries to escape but also dies it's kind of sad cuz you come down into the core of this planet and again it's zero gravity and there's just floating bodies of dead nomai here and it's like oh that's that sucks amazing visual again in this part yeah you have to go through these tunnels and like a slip and slide thing quickly take a photo to see which one has ghost matter down it. Also did not like these tunnels. No, me neither. I knew about ghost matter, I still didn't like it. I took a wrong turn at one point and like completely doubled back on myself and when I realised I was right back at the start and I had like no fucking fuel left and I was so angry. I had to go all the way back through it. Also if you finish exploring it and then you try and get out, like you can be frozen inside there. Yeah, you can get trapped inside there when the ice reforms. Anytime I go into the middle of anything, I just mark myself a death, basically. I'm like, I'm just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's kind of the beauty of the game. Like, you don't yeah. have to worry about dying in many cases, because it's like, oh, well, I'll do it on the next loop, that sort of thing. Hmm. Though, for the interloper, you do have a limited amount of time, because when the sun becomes a red giant, it does eat it. I didn't realize that it was on an orbit at all. So I thought it was going straight into the sun and I thought I have to do this shit <laughs> as fast as I possibly fucking can or I'm going to get pelted in. If you look at your planetarium, like kind of like map, if you press select, like you see that it's on one of those long ass like elliptical comet orbits. Mm -hmm. And then there's the quantum moon as well. Yes. Which is cool because you'll see it occasionally and you'll be like, huh, I don't remember this planet having a moon. And then you'll look away and you'll look back and be like, huh, that planet doesn't have a moon. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> it took me forever to notice the quantum moon because I, in my head, it was more weird looking. Like I was looking for something much more out of the ordinary. Yeah. And it really just is just a big white dot, like a regular moon. I didn't even register it for the longest time. This is where like reading your log really like comes in handy because like first time you ever read something about the quantum moon, it points it out to you and says like, there's a moon that's sometimes in other places. I wouldn't know it existed without the log. Some of the stuff I read very early on on Brittle Hollow, I was like, oh, they're talking about a quantum moon. And I read it in a few locations and I was like, that thing's going to be important. And then I started looking out for it. So I knew about it very early. I read about it and I like I looked at my log and everything. But for some reason, my brain was just like, that's a thing that doesn't really exist. And people are just talking about it as if it does. <laughs> so I didn't even like register the fucking disappearing moons at all because it just li is literally just a big gray ball that sometimes there and sometimes isn't like it's so non-interesting looking yeah that it didn't even register i like this because it's another also like religious science kind of thing because they describe it as like a a pilgrimage in order to get there you have to have like understood and internalized these specific rules of how like quantum physics work so like to get to this level you have to ascend to a certain level of knowledge but there is also the practical scientific thing of like yeah but this is right where the eye of the universe is like this is when the moon is orbiting that body and that's that's where we ultimately want to go you find out through the course of the game that it has six locations it can appear in so the five locations you can find it in are orbiting the various planets of your solar system but the sixth location is 
actually orbiting the eye of the universe because the quantum moon is actually like it's been shot out from the eye of the universe basically so on each of the planets that you you visit the quantum moon from it will take on an appearance similar to the planet it's orbiting and you can't necessarily get to it's a little bit difficult to describe but it, there's a temple on the quantum moon that moves around because the temple itself is quantum and it has different locations it can appear in when you're orbiting different planets basically so your goal is to get the tower to appear at the northernmost part of the moon while you're also in it and then warp the tower so that it's on the eye of the universe moon I don't think I've described that as well, like as well as you could, but it's very difficult to describe. It is mind-bending. It's another one of those things, like a lot of things about like physics in real life, like operates on a logic that is so alien to us. That's just like removed from kind of our everyday experience that it's hard to even like talk about it in the abstract. But yes, uh, like the quantum temple is in a superposition, and you need to be observing it while it's on the north pole in order for you to be able to get out of it because any other location is walled in yeah when it's reflecting like the properties of the eye of the universe is just walled in by stuff this is also where you meet solanum you meet the only nomai who's still alive well, or are they yeah no schrodinger's nomai Tromai. In the old settlement on Brittle Hollow, you see her writing as a child. When she goes to the quantum moon, it's kind of a coming of age thing. She says it's a coming of age thing that all know my do, isn't it? Yeah. They go to that version of it to like get close to the eye because that's part of their like religious structure. And that's why she was there. You can kind of see the eye of the universe from the moon in this location. But there's a really interesting dialogue system here because you don't speak the Nomai language, but you can translate it. Oh, yeah. You show the Nomai that you can translate their language. Like, they understand you have a translator. So they give you some rocks with pictures on and you you use a sequence of two rocks to ask questions. So you can ask questions like, I of the universe, you. And the Nomai will interpret this as like, I am asking you why the I of the universe is important to you. But you can... You can do this with some of the major planets as well as some of the things like the Ash Twin Project and stuff like that to get a Know My perspective on everything you've been seeing so far firsthand. Yeah, you get uh, identify and explain. Yeah. But you can also combine just two locations or two objects and they'll also they'll talk about how those two things relate to each other. It's it's fucking cool. It's yeah. fucking shit. Yeah. It's another one of the, the times in the game where just like the internal logic of it just comes into such like a a nice kind of frisson. Like it, 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 it melds really well. I like that Solanum also has the similar kind of like respect for your species. I've never met one of your kind before. It is an honor to speak with you. I particularly admire your four eyes. <laughs> <laughs> In general, like a, a, a really kind of like idealistic meeting between two species, because like the way that plays off in sci-fi so often is like, oh, you know, basically like the Nomai are going to be like the fucking Protoss and they're just going to be like arrogant little shits. But no, they're they're inquisitive and friendly and they've clearly passed at least some of that also on to the Harthians. The Harthians are also, like, I would say, not unreasonable to assume, are inquisitive and, and take some of their cues about their culture from Nomai civilization, because they have, like, the artifacts, they use the gravity crystals and stuff. I mean, I, I assume it's intentionally trying to, like, 
you know, be a manifestation of like the ethos of the whole game and like how they want people to approach it. Yeah, yeah, that that like knowledge and exploration for its own sake is fulfilling. Yes. Yeah. Linking together concepts and gaining a greater understanding of the universe is a kind of quasi-spiritual sort of goal for not just the Harthians, but for any civilization, any conscious being. It's rewarding and fulfilling to understand the world around you. Mm. And then when you leave the quantum moon, you will just be ejected on a planet and there will be a dead Nomai next to you, which is kind of sad because it's... It's basically saying that the Nomai you meet on the quantum moon died. Yes. Actually, on their way back. She says during her meeting that she doesn't think she's really alive anymore. She suspects it herself that something's wrong. Do we want to get to the wrap-up, then? Yeah, the ending, yeah. Yeah. I will probably duck out for the wrap-up, as I have not finished, like, the last quarter of this game, I would say. This is the speedrun, really. What do you mean this is the speedrun? Because the game is teaching you this entire time how to speedrun it. You still have to go and, like, learn the coordinates and stuff. You can't just go, like, first playthrough straight through. Well, that is the second piece of information that sticks in your brain besides the launch codes. The three things you need are the warp core, the coordinates, and the location of the vessel that you're going to use the warp core and the coordinates in. So by this point, we've got all of those. So what you need to do is go to the Ash Twin at about seven minutes into the time loop. By that point, you'll be able to warp to the Ash Twin project, grab the core, boogie back out, get in your ship, fly as fast as you can to Dark Bram, there's a fucking remix of the sun exploding theme. It fucking got me. It's awesome. It fucking it slaps, me. though. It's such a fucking good, like, because that's the kind of doom inevitability music. But this one, like, it's a bit more like, you know, triumphant. It's heroic music. When you're into Dark Bramble, there's like another mix of it. And that's such a fucking cool, like, little emotional arc because it's like, you're getting into this, like, super, you know, determined, heroic kind of thing. And then just, it like, into the mall, into, like, the, the horrifying planet. You're feeling like you're on a timer because you've got about 12 minutes at this point, uh, maybe 11 minutes to get through Dark Bramble. So, like, you're rushing, but at the same time, you've got to take it slow because otherwise you're going to get eaten by an anglerfish. And then eventually you'll do well enough that you'll get to the vessel, plug in the warp core, plug in the coordinates, and hit the eye of the universe. Indeed. And then things get a bit weird. This is the kind of 2001 ending. It is, yeah. The eye of the universe is fucking sick. Yes. It's so cool. I think my favorite part of it was like the first time you're walking through the eye of the universe, there's just trees popping in and out of existence. There's a constant thunderstorm happening on the eye of the universe. So it's like lightning flickering in and out. So every time there's a flash of lightning, things have moved because they've been in the dark. So you haven't been perceiving them. So sometimes there will just be a fucking tree that flashes into existence next to you and then it's immediately gone because the lightning's gone away. That's super cool. It's so cool. And then you get to the really weird stuff. Because going into this, you just, you don't know what to expect. The only thing you know about it is the fact that it looks like that weird type of rock that you saw on the quantum moon. You just walk towards the center of it, which is a weird gravity situation, isn't it? Yeah, you have to walk up a wall to get to the eye of the universe. And then you enter. And that's, that's where the kind of finale sort of happens. I fucking love this finale. Same. You're landing back in the museum. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about the museum. And there's a, a couple of kind of like nice little sort of like jokes in there. I take this as kind of because you are a conscious entity entering into this. This is your consciousness and your memories as projected into physical space. Yeah. Yeah, like reflecting. Like it says, um, no one misses the the anglerfish. Like when you look at the the calls for yeah, and it talks about the the supernova that happened when you look at the supernova model as it's happened in your universe. And it's cool too because. It's, it it has the this abandoned place kind of thing because all the lights are off. There's this cool little poster of all the different pilots and stuff. And then you're in the forest, right? I can't even remember what order the things that happen in the forest happen in because it was just such a strange experience. There's just a weird load of stuff. Like you have to do a few weird little puzzles. The moon guy is sitting by a fire in the middle and he wants you to get all the other band members together. So basically the, the finale of this game is is um, finding all of the all of the other musicians that you've met on the different planets and bringing them all together and you have to do certain little puzzles to kind of unlock them and find their instruments so to speak. Yeah and they're all basically quantum puzzles like there's one where you've got a every time you turn around a group of Nomai skeletons stacks higher on top of each other to reach for an instrument and then you can eventually climb on top of them to grab the instrument. The other thing, though, is that it gives you in this very specific visual way, like this indication that everything is dying, that this isn't just like the end of your solar system, that this is the end of the universe. There's one part of it when all the all of the suns appear around you in the forest and as you approach them, they explode and disappear. It's another one of those things to kind of like drive home, like kind of that you were born in the most unlucky fucking time <laughs> that you possibly could have been. Yeah. The one moment where everything is ending is where you happen to be. Though also, within the most fortuitous circumstances, you could have been born in said time in. How long did it take? Did it take anyone else quite a long time to figure out the drums thing? So this is the one where you've got to zoom in with your sound scope. It took me yeah. a good five or six goes to figure out because I never once had zoomed in. Not a single time in the game. It teaches you to zoom in on Timber Hearth very early on in the game, you but by this point to. you forget it. Yeah, you never need to do it, but um, yeah, it's, yeah. I kind of like this this area in general because like, yeah, there's like some puzzles and some of them are kind of annoying, but there isn't the pressure of that clock anymore. I liked it. I just thought it was so like, it felt kind of sad because obviously, you know, like everything is coming to an end. So this is like, it's just the end of everything, but it was just, it was nice to get everyone together and just hear the music. It was really... Feldspar's puzzle isn't really a puzzle. It's just a jump scare. Oh, the, is that the fucking anglerfish? Fuck Feldspar. The anglerfish comes out at you. Yeah, one one last anglerfish comes back to get you. I hated it. When I watched Specs play this, Specs had the patience to walk around the forest. So he didn't get very spooked by the anglerfish because he almost saw it coming. But I was zooming around the jetpack and I flew right into that thing's mouth. <laughs> scared the shit out of me. I think Shiny did the same, yeah. I, I ran away screaming. I took this as not just like, okay, like kind of like you're remembering kind of like your friends and that that is going to be kind of the thing that creates the universe. But I also took this as as sort of a developer self insert, like the process of of creating this game and, and engaging in this kind of creative, musical, artistic act uh, with them together was what created this game. But that this act of creation has kind of come to an end. The world, the universe of Outer Wilds is now like kind of closed to them and that, you know, well, the next thing to do is like, let's get playing again. Like, let's get creating again and create a new universe. Yeah. 
I don't normally like an ending like this, but I didn't mind it here. I think it fit the game very well. Usually I like something more definitive and a bit less kind of abstract, but I think this this fit, so I didn't mind. I think it was the right way. The whole finale act is a very big what the fuck kind of moment when compared to the rest of the game, because the rest of the game is so like objective facts and truth about where things are and how things work. And then you entered this and it's just like a weird ever-changing environment where your friends are here but they shouldn't be here and you can hear things that aren't really there and see things that shouldn't be able to move and it's just a really really interesting and just immediate like change of pace from the rest of the game that that's a great insight it just kicks you up in like a completely different way where like i don't know i don't know how to describe it but no i get you it's just a night yeah it is like the kind of central reward and goal like this was the goal of the nomai this is this is like the pinnacle of kind of knowledge and this is you sort of being graced by the divine like in this incomprehensible place it's a really really good feeling and i think the specific progression of going from the run of like you're absolutely determined and the heroic music's playing and you you know go into the scariest fucking place and then what you meet when you get to your objective is not someone just saying good job it's something outside of your comprehension as anything yeah. higher than the knowledge that you've attained is so beyond what can fit in your brain or your conception of things and it can only sort of like black lodge style take on the shapes that you're familiar with that's a very good way to explain it i think The spruce returns. Indeed. Hello. So where are you? So where are you, the spruce? He's been the spruce for a while. I've I've always been the spruce. Rob the spruce. With. This is my little cat trays. I haven't heard the spruce. If you smell what the spruce is juicing. <laughs> <laughs> the spruce comes. The spruce enters. The spruce returns. Venny, venny, venny. <laughs> <laughs> so final thoughts and let's talk about the music the music doesn't always show up it shows up when you find new things and it shows up when the game thinks it'd be nice to have some music but not all the time it shows up when it needs to yeah I absolutely adore this soundtrack. I love it so much. I think it's perfect. I think without this soundtrack, this game wouldn't be as impactful as it is. Like if it had something different. I didn't realize how good the soundtrack was until I heard the music that plays when the sun explodes out of context. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? It's so good. It's an awesome mix of these different kind of elements too, because yeah, it's space exploration and, and science fiction and all these kind of things, but it is also incredibly graphic grounded and homey so this combination of yeah. like banjos and synthesizers and and like other acoustic instruments like it's it's this really nice kind of kind of melding of sounds it would have been so easy for them to go with like kind of generic science fiction soundtrack cliches but they didn't and i think that makes it a lot better i really love the way that all of the uh, all of your timber hearth friends it's all very acoustic because you're all because that's the vibe yeah, like you're not an advanced species to the same extent that the Nomai were, so you're all acoustic and you're all like wooden and whistling and all of this stuff, but then the soundtrack overall has a lot more depth to it because there is so much more than just what the Timber Hearth people know. It's just, it's so sick. Piano is identified as kind of the character mm -hmm. of the Nomai. Yeah. 
but whenever you're in like the Nomai runes, there's there's these kind of very sort of sad like six, five, four kind of kind of progressions that just they're somber, but like it, it, you're walking through a graveyard. It's touching. It's affecting in a way. I'm not used to games that have such mechanical kind of strength being able to sort of hit those story notes without any kind of like scripted progression. Mm. Yeah, I think the music helps to punctuate and kind of elevate the emotions that you will be feeling. Like I was saying about sort of when you first take off, that feeling of kind of awe as you as you take off for the first time and you're in space, the senses of discovery that you you feel, the music kicks in when you find a new element because it helps to punctuate the fact that, yeah, you've learned something. And when you're exploring Nomai kind of ruins and it's a bit upsetting because there's all these skeletons around and stuff, you get some somber music to punctuate that as well so it's really good what they did with the music system another mind-bending kind of fact about this game which is how the game is rendered which is futurama style in that the universe is rendered around you so at all points you are the center of this solar system uh is this for floating point precision reasons by any chance um you you're i i i'm the humanities guy you're the you're the computer guy like everything in this world is moving, right? It's the, I guess the sun is maybe the only object that's not technically Technically moving. it is too. Because the way we, um, with video games, you gotta keep the camera near the center of the world's coordinate space. Okay. Or you start running into floating point error and you start, everything starts kind of jittering. And so we have to keep the player near the mathematical origin of the world. And the way we do that in this game, a lot of games sort of, like you reach a threshold and they like reload the next zone, right? But because ours, everything's moving relative to each other, um, what I ended up doing back when I was a student project is just uh, every time we apply a force to the player, we just apply an opposite force to every physics object in the world wow. that's currently simulating. And it doesn't actually really do anything to performance because we're already doing that, right? We're already applying forces to every object because everything's moving. It's just another number on top of numbers. So uh, when you jump in Outer Wilds, technically every planet's jumping out from under you and you're more or less not moving. Overall, I think this is probably my game of last year. I know it didn't come out last year. I think it came out right at the end of 2019. But I think this is probably the best game I played last year. I don't usually play games like this, but I really enjoyed this. And it's one of the very few games, I think it's basically this, Breath of the Wild, maybe one or two other games that I wish I could erase my memory of to play again. But unfortunately, because I already know everything about it, like it's it's never gonna, it's not worth replaying, which sounds bad, but like in a good way, it's not worth replaying. Yeah, it's not gonna hit the same way as it did when you first discovered like things in it. You already know how the universe works, so it's not... You don't get the joy of discovering if you play it again. I probably will play it again just because I fucking loved it. It's definitely one of my favorite games of all time now. It's so incredible. It's nice to absolutely go around and explore. And yes, uh, Willie, when I said that this game beat out like Disco Elysium for me last year, like this is why. Absolutely deserves a lot more attention than it's than it's gotten. Like it it's gotten it's gotten decent accolades, but yeah, this is up there with one of the greatest games I've ever played. Just just like from conception to presentation. Cause I, I don't think it necessarily would have worked without the presentation, without looking this lived in and homey and and you know handcrafted the devs definitely like they just like the idea of sitting by a campfire playing 
<laughs> playing music. Like the yeah. there's a strong camping energy through all of this. <laughs> like you can roast marshmallows just for no reason other than for fun. For like Americans, like it does remind me of kind of like the like the Boy Scouts. It's like yeah, always be prepared. Keep your seeds with you in case you crash. Like yeah, it's it, big camping energy. Cats, man, you've not finished it yet, obviously, but like, I thought you dropped it completely. So sorry, we've kind of rushed doing this. I didn't realize you wanted to finish it. I wouldn't have time to finish it because I got stuck at my parents' house in lockdown. Um, ta-da! But um, I'm probably going to go back to it because another one of my friends picked it up and they started telling me about their experiences with it and also gave me a few hints on my playthrough. So I'll probably go back to it now. But yeah, this game makes me feel like a big dumb idiot because it is so clever. I have uploaded my entire playthrough of Outer Wilds to our YouTube channel, so if you want to watch me play it rather than play it yourself for any reason, then you can do that. Right, well, thank you all for being here. Thank you, mysterious person, or that one guy who comments on all our podcasts. I love you. What, Specs? No, <laughs> the other guy who comments <laughs> on all our podcasts. Do you want to know his latest comment? Go on. You know he said we were the Jackson Pollock of video game podcasts? Yeah. So on the next podcast, he said, actually, I was mistaken. Truly, this is the George R.R. Martin of video game podcasts. Especially similar are the year's distant release dates and the characters being generally unpleasant individuals that all end up dying in horrific ways. <laughs> Much love to that guy. That's unkind. We're not as horny as George R.R. Martin. I am. <laughs> yeah, he is. At least in podcast presentation, not. I am. <laughs> Have you not heard all the weird noises? Specs, Specs is ironically horny, though. George R. R. Martin is very sincerely horny. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Broccoli, baby. Baby. Broccoli, baby. Baby. That's right. I've, I've got to be somewhere. My friends are uh, watching movies that they know I'll hate to torture me, and I don't want to miss that. What movies? Ready Player One and The Book of Henry. I don't know The Book of Henry, but uh, I've seen Ready Player One. The Book the book of Henry is about a kid who uh, builds a Rube Goldberg machine to kill a pedophile, but dies of cancer midway through. What? what? I want to watch this. That sounds absolutely insane, and not in a good way. I want to watch it! It is insane and awful, and it's written by the guy who wrote Jurassic World for some reason. I want to watch it! Our next book club game is Mr. Mosquito. Okay. What? Oh. Because we are doing, me and Kat and I have talked about this, we're doing good game, bad game, good game, bad game. That's the way we're doing these. Well, good game, weird game. It's not necessarily a bad game, it's a meme game. So before this was Earthworm Jim, I think, right? <laughs> fuck that game. Yeah, fuck that game. So we're doing good game, meme game, essentially. So okay. Mr. Mosquito is our next game. 